Loves Dua Lipa. She levitates, he elevates that fastball, and it's worked for him. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Put Me In Coach. It's a podcast for baseball fans, by baseball fans, and we talk about baseball on it. My name is Matt Coggins. And my name is Carl Mizell. And if, in case you've stumbled onto this podcast accidentally and you're not a baseball fan, if you listen long enough, you will be. Or you'll hate it and decide to uh, become a baseball fan out of spite because of this podcast you listen to. Yeah. Like the podcasts that cover like bad movies and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It turns out we're like the anti-podcast. People love to listen to us because they hate it. I don't know. Hey, my favorite podcast is about Alex Jones, and I don't like that guy, but... (laughs) Oh, which is it... uh... Which one is that? Is that knowledge? It's called knowledge. Fight? Knowledge fight. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was. Just, I know knowledge fight is like exclusively about him, and then there is behind the bastards, which just. I mean, you can't. It's like they they do an annual special on him. Yeah. So, but that's not what we're here for. How are you? No, we're here for baseball. I'm great. You know, uh, living life, enjoying some ball. I think I said it last week, but like April baseball, I don't think has ever been this exciting. And it's still it's still April, and baseball's still extremely exciting. Absolutely, no, I, I I don't know if it's because I mean I've always paid pretty close attention, but I don't know if it's because we have the show now that I feel like I'm noticing it more. But I definitely feel like there are more interesting storylines and things that are happening, uh, and just it it just feels like a more active April than I can remember. Absolutely, and it's like what I find really funny and weird for the first time ever. Maybe of course people are talking about the hockey playoffs and and there's a lot of stories coming out of that i didn't even know that basketball was also doing their playoffs right now because no one's really talking about basketball people are talking about a lot about baseball a little bit of hockey and i can't that can't just be the circles that i'm running in no I, i'm i mean i consider myself to be a pretty aware sports fan i mean obviously ba- baseball is if i had to rank them it's it's Number one, baseball, a slightly distant second is hockey and then basketball. And then I couldn't care any less about the NFL. Um, so I'm not really I know Aaron Rodgers finally got traded. But, yeah, no, I, I if if I didn't traffic in like uh, one of my favorite websites is Defector, the old Deadspin crew that broke off. So they do a lot of talk about it. So I'm tangentially aware. But if it wasn't for that, I would have zero clue what yeah. was going on. Well, but we're here to tell you what's going on in baseball. And uh, in this episode today, we're going to talk a lot about the biggest story of the week, which was the Oakland A's uh, announcing they are moving out of Oakland. And we've got a couple other stories we'll cover, as well as Carl's going to dig deep on the Rule 5 draft, which I'm very excited for because I only a little bit understand it. So we're all going to learn. But before we get into all that, let's get into the baseball news of the week. Yeah, so the top story of the last week, and it might be a little bit of old news by the time this episode comes out, but we still wanted to talk about it. Max Scherzer was ejected and suspended for 10 games for a sticky substance violation despite using the league-approved rosin, which is the number, the only sticky substance that pitchers are allowed to use. Uh, Scherzer is the third pitcher to get ejected for foreign substance since checks were put into place. All three of these checks and tosses were done by umpire Phil Cuzzy. Dan Bellino was also on that crew. He was the same guy that molested Madison Madison Bumgarner's hand last year. Um, And please look up the video if you don't know what I'm talking about. He's... uh, 
feeling Baumgartner's hand and staring him directly in the eyes as he's doing it, going on for way too long while yeah. he does this. Very bizarre video. He's also on the crew that tossed Scherzer. Um, there's been so much talk about this this week on Sunday Night Baseball. ESPN did a little... Uh, experiment where they kind of tried to replicate what exactly Scherzer was saying and all he was saying was that like the official story is he was applying rosin in the dugout which is not by the books illegal but umpires don't want you to do that they only want you to use the the rosin bag that's on the mound he was doing it in the dugout because of the pitch clock and in between innings there was a little bit of chatter they were like wash it off so he washes it off with an MLB official watching him, and he uses alcohol, which is uh, is meant to break down a sticky substance like rosin. But if you don't properly use that washing method, you can actually end up with the alcohol drying out the rosin and kind of reactivating it and making it stickier. So he comes back out after attempting to wash his hands. He's even stickier than before, so they toss him. Um, and now he's suspended for 10 games, two starts. It's no fun, especially when the, the Mets don't have very many starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. um, Carl, how do you feel about uh, old Mad Max here? I hate it. I hate what happened. I do. I, I think that baseball in its infinite wisdom, Major League Baseball, when I say baseball here, I'm saying Major League Baseball in its infinite wisdom, uh, identified a problem, which was the spider tack, the, the sticky stuff, as it were. And they tried to rush to a solution. And it's only created more problems. And I think that the the rules are being applied so subjectively. I think, like, for example, like you said, Phil Cuzzy. And Dan Bellino, like why their names keep coming up. If you really want to have some fun with that video of Dan Bellino and Mad Bum, uh, mute it and then listen to like Careless Whisper underneath it. And while they, while he, while Dan Bellino really tries to stare longingly into Madison Bumgarner's eyes, which uh, I don't know if you know anything about Mad Bum. If you stare in his eyes for too long, he will attack. Um, but I, I, I just I understand the the idea and 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 the intent behind it. Um, because it was oh it's it's too it, their pitchers are putting too much spin on the ball and it's too hard to hit it's too hard to hit anyway like it's not yeah. it's not it's not this it's a large man throwing a small ball at you at high speeds and it's moving all over the place that's what makes it hard to do it's a hard sport and yes a couple hundred extra rpms on your pitches are going to make it move even more but i think that there are other ways to address this uh, besides just putting out some weird, vague rules, I think we need to develop one agreed upon substance and that's it. Something that does work, that doesn't impart too much extra spin on the ball. It is a, it is the only league approved substance and, and there, and, and the umpires will be trained. This is what it feels like. This is what, this is it. It's only applied on the mound. You saw them put it on on the mound. You check them before the inning, something because otherwise you're going to get dudes like Phil Cuzzy who thinks that people pay to see him keep running out there and getting Max Scherzer suspended. No one gives a shit about Phil Cuzzy. I've never paid a hundred bucks to go see Phil Cuzzy ump a game. Mm -hmm. I have gone to see Max Scherzer pitch yeah. and that's what I want to see. So I think that they need to fix whatever this is. They, they need to come to some sort of agreement because this is getting out of hand. And I, I, I honestly think they're just trying to make an example of Max Scherzer because the, if they can suspend Max Scherzer, they can suspend anybody. Yeah, not to get like too tinfoil hat, but Scherzer is also one of the lead um, uh, player uh, advocates as far mm -hmm. as the uh, the union goes. He's, he's sat at the table during those contract negotiations last year. 
He's uh, a huge force in favor of the players. Maybe making a making an example out of him is sending a bigger message to the player organization at large, but uh, completely unnecessary. Um, yeah, and of course, like Yankee Yankees, Braves, and Padres fans were quick to be on the he's a cheater, he's a cheater, he should get kicked out of the league, <laughs> blah blah blah. And it's like okay, but th- for an example. Um, Herman of the Yankees pitched an amazing game the other day where there was a very, very similar situation to this, but all the umps told him to do is wash his hands off. Yep. And he was able to pitch the full game. Um, and they actually tossed uh, the manager of the Twins, who the Yankees were playing, for arguing that. Um, but I think they made the right call on that. It's like, yeah, it wasn't a foreign substance. It was the, the league-approved rosin. He just had too much of it, and they told him to wash it off. Whatever. Yep. Um, I, and I also think it was rich from Padres fans to be calling Scherzer a cheater. Uh, <laughs> Fernando Tatis made his uh, return to the league uh, just yep. now. I kept going, hey, hey, why was Tatis gone for so long? Well, why? Yep. He, was, uh, he was suspended? Why? Oh, oh. Oh, I'm just first time hearing of this. And and let's and let's not forget, you know who else just made their 2023 debut for the Padres? Joe Musgrove. He of the shiny, shiny ears. Yeah. Joe Musgrove. Now, th- those two aren't related. He had some injury problems. But, uh, you know, those who live in uh, glass Petco parks should uh, <laughs> not throw stones made of cheating accusations, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. Speaking of throwing stones, we had a week of... Almost perfect games. Drew Smiley of the Cubs pitched seven perfect. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers pitched six perfect. And Spencer Strider of the Braves pitched six and some change perfect. Um, I don't know if there's any proof to this. I haven't done super deep research on it yet, but I think this has got to be the closest we've come to several perfect games in one week. Um, it's one of the rarest feats in baseball uh, to pitch a perfect game. It's only happened what twenty odd times. I think twenty. I think we're up to twenty. It's twenty six or twenty seven. We're gonna cover this next week. We're gonna dive deep into perfect games, how they happen, what they are. Um, but I, I felt it was worth noting the the smiley uh, near perfect was really sad too because oh god, uh, yes. it was blown up by a chip shot down the third baseline that um, smiley had. He had the ball. He could have thrown the guy out, but then the catcher brain farted and ran right into him and kind of tackled him onto the ground. Uh, sad way. Sad way to go. Yeah. I just did a clarification. 23. 23. 23 perfect games. And one 28-out perfect game. Uh, yeah. we don't have to get into. Never forget. Um, uh, Liam Hendricks, closer from the Chicago White Sox, is cancer-free. Of course, he's uh, over the offseason announced that he had cancer and be missing most of the season with his uh, recovery, but he is now in remission, and that is something worth celebrating. I don't love the White Sox, but you can't deny that he is a phenomenal pitcher. He's a really great guy behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's what great news for him, and that's worth celebrating. Absolutely. I was very touched. Uh, I mean, like most everybody these days, cancer has, has touched my life. Um, and in my previous uh my previous career or my previous job in the current career, I used to be in a lot of cancer clinics and he posted the picture of him ringing the bell, which is a very common thing for a lot of cancer clinics to have when you finished on it, you know, you're round of, you, you finished chemotherapy. And the few times that I was in those clinics, when somebody was ringing the bell, everything stops, everything yeah. stops and everybody knows what's happening. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to be in that position to see what is probably one of the greatest moments of that person's life, it is, it is 
so so magical and so special to see so i i, I hate liam Hendricks with every fiber of my being uh, <laughs> i mean like you said he's a great guy and in, in, in all that but he is also uh a white sock so uh fuck liam Hendricks, but i'm really glad that he doesn't have cancer anymore uh we'll see you on the field good job beating can- yeah good job beating recover cancer. <laughs> recover soon so we can get back to hating you again exactly um, <laughs> Clayton Kershaw has joined the 200 win club. Uh, he also lowered his career whip to 0.9996, so below one, uh, yes. placing him fourth on the all-time pitcher, uh, all-time list of the three pitchers ahead of him, two played in the dead ball era. Uh, and the other is Jacob deGrom, who, according to this very helpful note that you wrote here, uh, has pitched just over half the innings Kershaw has even though he's actually younger than Kershaw, and I think they made their debuts around the same time. Um, Kershaw speedrunning his way to the Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> he's, I mean, like, the under, the only other two active pitchers, if, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, 200 wins are Scherzer and Verlander. I believe so. Um, and they're, what, th- older? They're older than him. I know that yes. much. <laughs> so. they, they are definitely older. I mean, he again, he is so sneaky good. 200 wins, 88 losses, a career, career ERA spent entirely in the National League West of 2.48, a sub one, technically a 1.0 whip, um, but a sub one whip. He is, we you appreciate what you have right now in seeing Clayton Kershaw continue to pitch, especially at his age. Um, but yeah, he's he's pitched, like I said, he's pitched almost twice as many innings. I, I think DeGrom, because DeGrom wasn't a, a pitcher, in co- he played at a small college and wasn't a pitcher, so he was sort of like a late bloomer, um, which, and he's also had more injury issues. But still, for the two active players who are in that list, and Kershaw has pitched almost double the innings it's unbelievable for that long that sustained quality of performance and to have a whip of one yeah it's unbelievable yeah the 200th win came against the Mets of course they could not answer him at all he was he was throwing straight fire as the kids say um and in related Dodger news, they also, their uh, soon-to-be Hall of Famer Mookie Betts, who's normally an outfielder, I should point that out, uh, he went on paternity leave this week. I think they have something like four of their players all having babies at the same time. That's fucking crazy. Yep. But then he comes back from paternity leave, says he, he was late to the game um, because he went straight from the hospital to the game, and they put him in at shortstop, a position that he's never played in in his career, and he did phenomenal. These Dodgers, man, they're... They're really something else. Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah. Uh, Max Max Muncy, Mookie Betts, Bruce Dargraderall, and Evan Phillips. Uh, I, I somebody tweeted it about it, and they're like, "What? What are they? What are the Dodgers feeding these guys?" Um, and they're all so virile, uh, right around the same time. Uh, one person did put on their tinfoil hat and tried to do the uh, the maternity math on that, the pregnancy math, and was like, "Well, they would have all been on the road at that time." Okay, no, that's not that's not what's happening. <laughs> that is clearly not what's happening. But it is extremely unusual to have one team get four guys on the paternity list at one time. But to your point, Mookie Betts is just—I I think we all—I mean, he's a, a phenomenal bowler. I think he's also a, like a, a an excellent golfer as well. He's just a phenomenal athlete. Like anything he puts his mind to, I would totally believe that he could do. I you give him a pair of skates in a week, and I, I'm pretty sure he could play <laughs> pretty competitively uh, in most hockey leagues. Well, let's move on to the big news of the week. And that is the, the Oakland A's. Uh, that was too happy a music. It, we need a sadder baseball organ song. Uh, get that, get Oakland, that, but in a minor key. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's go team. Um <laughs> the Oakland Athletics are leaving Oakland, California. Um the the this has been a long rumored thing for at least the last 10 years, if not longer. Um, but uh, it's finally happening. The papers have been signed. The announcements have been made. Um, maybe a, a fair chance that it doesn't happen. We'll see. We'll see how these tax dollars shake out as we get through this story. But um, the A's, the Athletics, they're one of the original American League teams. Uh, they go all the way back to 1901. Now, they did start in Philadelphia and then later moved to Kansas City, but they have been in Oakland since 1968 in the same um, stadium. They've been playing in the Oakland Coliseum ever since 1960. Um, they have a storied history as a team, even just in their Oakland years. Uh, they had the legendary Swing and A's team that won three straight World Series. They had the Bash Brothers, McGuire and Conseco, and of course... Billy Bean's Moneyball that led to the era of Sabermetrics and that great Brad Pitt movie, um, which Billy Bean is a handsome guy, but he's not like Brad Pitt handsome. No. <laughs> has no side. Um, <laughs> I know yet. that's what you tune in for is the hard-hitting analysis of the uh, physical appearance of general managers compared to uh, famous actors. I know that's why you're listening. Yeah. My review of Moneyball should have hired a, a less attractive Billy Bean. Um <laughs> Great movie. Not that that was the least realistic part of it. Um yeah, but they've they've spent their whole time in the Coliseum. It's a stadium that is riddled with blemishes, puddles, live animals. But A's fans and the players that come and play there, they love that stadium. It's it's got this deep history. It's not unlike a Fenway or Wrigley, even though it's sixty years uh younger. Um it's just got that 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 deep entrenched baseball history to it. And it's also the way it's laid out, uh, fans have a lot more access to the players. They can have direct conversations. They can get into fist fights with players as was seen in the uh Angels A's <laughs> series at the beginning of the season. Um I I was uh reading about it. I've always wondered what the hell is with that giant upper deck that no one sits in. And I mm -hmm. found out that the Coliseum uh built that essentially to attract the Raiders to come back and play there. The Raiders wanted to have a more robust audience for football. And so they added that big upper deck that when it's open, that stadium can seat 60,000 people, which makes it the biggest American ballpark. Mm -hmm. However, they never have that open, so they seat roughly 30,000 people, which makes it the smallest ballpark. It's <laughs> a fun little wrinkle about the Coliseum. Um, but so on to the news about them leaving. So beginning with the Golden Seals relocating to Cleveland. I assume they are, that's the Cavaliers. Uh, the Golden State Warriors moved across the Bay to San Francisco in 2019. The Raiders moved to Vegas in 2020. They are the Athletics are left as the only Oakland franchise among the five major American professional sports leagues with teams in the Bay Area. And they just announced that they're going to move to Red Rocks Resort in Paradise, Nevada, near the Las Vegas Strip for a new ballpark, finalizing their plans to leave Oakland. Now, they've been trying to build a new waterfront stadium that was getting a lot of Oakland fans excited. Um, that that proposal's been going on for a long, long time, and the city essentially was like, yeah, well, that's fine, but we're not giving you a ton of money to build that stadium. And that kind of is the, the crutch that happens with so many professional sports teams is they want taxpayer money to fund their new ventures instead of spending their own money to, at the very least, clean up the Coliseum or put a worthwhile team on the field. <laughs> um, 
Their owner, John Fisher, seems to be purposefully mishandling the team. I looked into the payroll for the A's. It's at $60 million. $60 million total. And that is yep. the last in the league. It is the equivalent of just Jacob deGrom and Shohei Otani's yearly salaries combined. So two players, two, two great players, sure. But just two players together are paid more than the entire Oakland A's organization. And to add insult to injury, they have started 2023 on an historically bad pace since 1901 the a's negative 100 run differential is the worst by any team in their first 20 games of the season the previous worst was an 85 run differential by the 88 orioles they are in discussion to be the worst team in baseball history the losing record holders are the 1899 cleveland spiders which is a hilarious story if if you ever want to dig into that they won 20 games that entire season and they had a negative 723 run differential the modern record holders are the 2003 tigers with 43 wins they had negative 337 run differential the a's are on pace for negative 750 and a 29 win season (laughs) and i hope they get there I really do. I want that for them. <laughs> if anything, like it'd make history. So why not? Yeah, um, I mean, rather ignoble history, but ho- history is history. I I never it? I never set a record for futility. Yeah, we're still talking <laughs> about the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Right, they're not around anymore. So <laughs> no. Um, the team's estimating about three thousand fans in attendance on a good day. So that's not good. <laughs> um, and now that this move has been announced, tons of fans are are giving up. Uh, you know, they've they've got a very loyal fan base, a small one, sure, but very loyal. They have guys that come and, and uh, you know, play drums every game, just these big war drums that they kind of use to hype up the crowd. And that fan group, they're called the Oakland 68s, they announced they're done. They're leaving. They're picking up their drums. They're not going to be there anymore. Um, they're giving up on the team. And, and as many have pointed out, it's mostly because the owner gave up first. And so it's just showing like... And we talked last week about how they're planning a uh, uh, a protest day where they were just going to flood the, the field and they were going to try to sell out the game. And a uh, week later, no, they're moving out. So what what's even the point anymore? Um, A's management has purchased this land in Vegas for an estimated uh, $1 billion project that they're, they're planning on putting up $1 billion land rights, building the stadium and everything. But they're still asking for about $500 million in public funding from... Uh, Nevada. And this move is expected to happen 2025 at the earliest. Uh, Might include them having a temporary home, ironically, in the same building as the Raiders. There was also, I think Manfred said something like, oh yeah, they could play some games at this uh, AAA field in Vegas that only houses about about 3,000, which, you know, for the A's, that's fine at the moment, but like... To start your your career in a new city and work in such a small stadium for a major league team, that's that's sad. Yeah. It's not unheard of, though. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. If you pay any attention to hockey uh, or the, the NHL, the uh, Arizona uh, Coyotes or the Phoenix Coyotes, whatever they're called these days, are playing at a stadium at the University of Arizona. Uh, it's basically just all bleachers. It only holds a couple thousand people, which is fine because they suck and nobody's going to the games anyway. <laughs> um, but it's... 
not unheard of for a professional team to do this. It's just embarrassing. But embarrassment is relative because in order to be embarrassed, you have to be capable of feeling shame. And I don't think that John Fisher is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like he's even cognizant to the fact that this is a problem, that he's just looking. And I don't really know what I don't want to get into his head about what his motivations are for moving this um, other than do, do they think that they'll have more success there? I don't. Does Vegas strike you as a big baseball place? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't. I, I, the viability of Las Vegas as a sports city has never seemed like a good idea to me. I mean, obviously, it's where people go to gamble, or in the past, that's where people used to go to gamble on sports. Yeah, I remember, you know, my older relatives would go to Vegas and, oh, I put a bet on the Tigers to win the World Series this year. Ah, it's not going to happen. But, you know, stuff like that. Now you can do it from your, f I could place a bet right now yeah. on my phone. Um, it's a very touristy town. I don't know if it has the population to sustain a team, but uh, it just seems weird. It just seems weird to have teams in, in Vegas. I don't, to, to me, I don't know why, um, but it, it goes double for Oakland. Oh, th this team should be in Oakland. Yeah. That's, that's my opinion. This team should be in Oakland. And I'm of the opinion that John Fisher is going to screw this up and they will ultimately stay in Oakland. That's my hope slash prediction because he has been bungling this plan for years, for years. If I may add some color to what you were just talking Please. about. So I wanted to go back. If, if, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I recommend it. This is not an ad, but we're not sponsored. Uh, but they, they were uh, the great Tim Kawakami uh, did a did a column on it over the weekend on the Athletic, and he pointed out two very distinct moments uh, in this in this saga. One is uh, when just under a decade ago, about eight years ago, uh, they were trying to get a new stadium built, and they said that nope. We can't do it anywhere else. We have to do it here on the site of the Coliseum. We have to do it on the site of the Coliseum. Um, if you've paid attention to the saga, the Howard Terminal, you know, that that plot of land might sound familiar. They talked about the Howard Terminal. At that time, uh, the owner, Lou Wolf, uh, said to the Associated Press, quote, Howard Terminal as a potential ballpark site has been and is totally rejected by Major League Baseball and the A's, close quote. Then... A few years after that, John Fisher and Dave Cavall, his president, came back and said, no, 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 Howard Terminal is the only place. It's the only place that we could build this. What, you you have us on the record as saying that Howard Terminal sucked and we wished it would just burn to the ground and we'd salt the ashes? No, no, no. We never said that at all. Uh, and then... There were a couple years later, or, or not a couple years later, in 2017, they they announced their intention to build on the Laney College site adjacent to downtown Oakland before it was crushed just a few months later by the Peralta Community College District. They announced the site. John Fisher and Dave Cavall said, hey, this is where we're going to be. They didn't have the land. Oh they didn't God. even have an agreement to negotiate for the land. They didn't have the votes on a community college district's board of trustees. They literally just opened their mouths and said they were going to do this, <laughs> much to the surprise of everyone who was not John Fisher and Dave Cabal. So if you'll forgive me, if I am skeptical yeah. that, that the Scooby-Doo villain that is John Fisher <laughs> is going to pull this off. And you mentioned they had, they're asking for $500 million of, of, public money two things katie says hi she wanted to make sure i told you hi hey. uh and also she wanted to, me to tell everybody listening that she and all of us i'm guessing you and i say fuck public money for stadiums yeah. 
If you're so goddamn rich, like John Fisher is, he's one of the richest owners in Major League Baseball. If you want that stadium so goddamn bad, you pony up for it. Yeah. You you pony up for it. It is your stadium. It is your responsibility. Do not ask me for a single dime to build your damn stadium. Okay, I'm going to go put my soapbox away. Please continue. That goes for every, I think that goes for every sport, every league, every team. Uh, if you're going to take taxpayer money to fund your stadium, then the team should be partly owned by the public. You know, I, I look at Green Bay and the brilliant example they have of a yes. city-owned team. Um, you know, it, it's, what is it? It's socialism for the rich, but, you know, once once you start saying, oh, higher taxes, this and that, then they get, they get a little upset. We don't want to get too deep into the politics of it all, but that's how I feel. Uh, spend your own money. You're rich. At least you did buy this land. So like, that's potential move. I don't know. Manfred yeah. seems to think that it's going to be good for baseball. I disagree. I think you're going to piss off a lot of Oakland fans who are already now being like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll be a Giants fan now. I guess I'll be a <laughs> Dodgers fan. I don't know. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not and that another, California's and short on teams to, to root for. but Right. Yeah. Another fun story, another fun element to all this before we move on is that they were in all of the times that they've talked about trying to build something here in Oakland. John Fisher would propose, oh, we're going to have shops and we're going to have this and that. It's going to be like a whole neighborhood. But he wanted the construction to occur on all of these things concurrently because basically he wanted the money coming in from all the shops around the stadium to offset the cost of the stadium. Ah. He he. He was just trying to get basically not to dip into his own vast, vast, vast resources. That's it. That's all it was. Screw you, John. Screw you. I hope you fail spectacularly. And I know that the worst thing that could happen to you is you could only end up being just sort of a millionaire. But I <laughs> hope that somehow, some way, you develop the urge to feel shame. And you do. One could only hope. I think that uh, why couldn't he just sell the team if he was so committed to putting a team in Vegas? There's a there's a lot of talk in the league right now about expansion. There's a bunch of cities that are putting in proposals. I've seen Salt Lake City. I've seen Nashville. If you really think that Vegas is a great baseball mark, why not just start an sell Oakland and start yep. an expansion team? in vegas um my tinfoil hat and i don't really know the tax laws in vegas but i'm pretty sure that they don't pay a lot of taxes because they bring in a ton of money on uh taxes on gambling so you know casinos sports boats stuff like that they bring in a ton of tax money for the state so i don't think they pay a lot of property or income tax as citizens so you know what on the baseball thread somebody was like oh well we don't care about public money whatever it's not we don't pay into it so whatever it's like yeah, but wouldn't you rather five hundred million go to schools or healthcare or literally mm. anything than a team that you don't even have ownership over? Like <laughs> just some fucking team that moved over from Oakland. I don't know, and I don't. I've never been to the West Coast. I don't know what it's like out there. I don't know what the people are like. Maybe Vegas citizens are extremely excited for this. We finally get a baseball team. But uh, I think it's it's bad for baseball. I think it's screwing over a lot of diehard fans in Oakland. If my team were to move, I would be very upset. I don't even live in uh, Michigan anymore. But mm -hmm. if the Tigers were to up and decide, you know what? We're going to move to Toronto tomorrow. No, I would be upset. Even today, there are, you know, born and raised Brooklyn Dodgers fans that are still to this day, extremely bitter at the Dodgers. And part of the reason why the Mets-Dodgers have a decent rivalry is because so many former Dodgers fans became Mets fans but still hold huge grudges against the Dodgers. Yeah, and that wasn't that long ago. No. <laughs> I mean, it, wasn't really, it really wasn't that long ago that that happened. So there are still people 
in this world who are alive and can remember. You know, they it was the fifth. It was in the fifties. So if mm-hmm. you were a kid, like a nine-year-old, you were born in maybe 43 or 44, you're, you're still alive and very capable of holding a very big grudge. Yeah, so fuck you, John Fisher. Fuck you, John. All right, well, let's move on to the Rule 5 draft. Ooh, <laughs> feels special. Like, I feel like I got to perform now. I got so many sound effects. Do you want some Fox Sports? The Rule 5 Draft on Put Me In Coach. <laughs> Does that fall under common use? Like, do, I mean, can you use more than 10 seconds of a sports broadcast theme? I... That is under 10 seconds. I made sure. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> now, I don't know okay. if you use it multiple times, if that's an accumulative 10 seconds. But... Well, I, let, let's put it. I'm hoping that it's like when I was in the Army. Um, if you messed up and you you get you get physically reprimanded, you get smoked. Basically meaning you'd get, you know, you would get to do push-ups, you know, like you see in the movies, like drop and give me mm-hmm. 50. There are guidelines. There are guidelines in manuals in, in the army that says you can only make a a private or a soldier do X amount of physical, like remedial physical. I can't remember what they call it, but that resets. So once it's done, you can start it over. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how I know. Uh, I used to get the living dog shit smoked out of me in the army. That's why. Um, so, yes, as Matt said. The Rule 5 draft, it is not the same as the amateur draft. So when you talk about the four major sports, they all have a draft, the draft. Um, Major League Baseball, as far as I know, is the only of the the, the four major sports in the United States that has a second draft. There's also a Rule 4 draft, uh, which I don't, I didn't look into. (laughs) I don't know how many, there's at least five rules. Um, And there is a minor league component to the Rule 5 draft as well, but it's so esoteric and not really worth the time to really go into. Uh, So if you want to look more into it, uh, Google is your friend. Go do it. But let me fill you in on the the Rule 5 draft. And before we do that, there's a major component that needs to be explained to you first, and that is the 40-man roster. You might have heard the term the 40-man or the 40-man roster. What is that? Uh, The 40-man roster of every Major League Baseball team includes a combination of players who are on the 26-man roster, which is the active roster. Those are the guys who are on the Major League roster, in the dugouts, in the bullpens. Um, The 26-man roster, the 7-day, the 10-day, and the 15-day injured lists, uh, anybody on the bereavement or family medical emergency list, and the paternity leave list like the Dodgers, uh, as well as some minor leaguers. So if you're doing the math, there are, it's a 40-man roster. There's 26 guys on the team at the major league level. So there are some minor leaguers um, who are in organizations, but are in the minors, even though they're on the 40-man roster. In order for a play, for a club to add a player to the 26-man roster, the player must be on that 40-man roster. If a club with a full 40-man roster wishes to promote a minor leaguer player, minor league player that is not on the 40-man roster, it must first remove a player from the 40-man roster, either by designating a player's contract for assignment. See our episode last week on designated DFAs or designated for assignment. Uh, you can trade a player, release a player, or transfer a player to the 60-day injured list. A player who is on that 40-man roster but does not open the season on the 26-man roster must be optioned to the minor leagues. Now, players typically have three option years, although a fourth could be granted in certain cases. Uh, Out-of-option players must be designated for assignment, which takes them right off the 40-man roster, and then they get passed through outright waivers before being eligible to be sent back to the minors. So outright waivers, teams can place claims on them, 
that's a whole other conversation. Um, once the player has spent at least 20 days in the minors on an optional assignment, one of his option years is expended. Uh, only one minor league option is used per season, regardless of how many times a player's option to and from the minors over the course of a given season. Uh, you can only be optioned five times per year, and after that, you have to be... It's called outright assignment. Um, you go past waivers, go down to the minor leagues. Um, and this is the end of the, the, the 40 man. And we're going to get into the f- rule five here. So the 40 man is an important distinction in the offseason because players who are on that roster are protected from being selected by another organization in the rule five draft, which is held every year in December. <laughs> there you go. The acknowledgement horn. Uh, players signed at age or, oh sorry uh, the rule five draft is held every year uh in december during the winter meetings uh players signed at age 18 or younger so that really kind of applies to like international signings need to be added to their club's 40-man roster within five seasons or they become eligible for the rule five draft players who signed at age 19 or older need to be protected within four seasons are we all are we all good on the 40-man roster? I think I get it. 40 guys, yeah. yep. minor 40 or guys. major league. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> now, now that we've got all that out of the way, any club with an open spot on its 40-man roster can make a selection in the Rule 5 draft. You do not have to make a pick in the Rule 5 draft. So some teams don't even qualify for it if they don't have any open spots on their 40-man roster. And even then, they might not want to. And we'll get into why that why they might not want to do that later. Um, teams pick in reverse order of the previous season standings. So like most it, it, sports that don't have a, a lottery, which I think is just these days, it's just major. No, no major league. Did, did major league baseball add a lottery? I don't remember. Do you? I think uh, it starts. It started this last year. I think it, they just added. Yeah. Uh, I, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it's just based on the reverse order of finish. So if worst team goes first, first team goes last. Uh, players on an organization's 40-man roster are automatically protected from the Rule 5 draft. Uh, to be eligible for selection in the Rule 5 draft, a player must either have spent four seasons in professional baseball after signing at age 19 or older, or spent five seasons in pro ball after signing at age 18 or younger as of June 5th of that year. A team that makes a selection pays a player's previous team $100,000 and places that player on its 40-man roster. And then he must stay on the stay on the active 26-man roster or injured list for the whole season. He has to be active for at least 90 days, so teams can't just, you know, bring a guy, draft him in the Rule 5 draft, and then just put him on the IL and, yeah. you know, he's on the active roster. Um, if the acquiring team removes the player from the big league roster, it must offer him back to the previous team for $50,000. So basically, you know, say, hey, give us half our money back and you can have your player back. Mm-hmm. That player that you did not want, uh, you can take him back and give us half our money back. Uh, so yeah, so the the, the, the the Rule 5 draft actually predates the first World Series by 11 years. The wow. first, Yeah, I know. Right? They were already doing this back in 1892. The first uh, World Series took place in 1903. This started in 1892. The amateur draft uh, was 67 years away uh, at that point. Um, in, in its earliest form, it was simply called the selection of players. Nobody could be arsed mm. to come up with a name. <clears throat> so they just said, screw it. We're calling this the selection of players, and it allowed the big league teams to draft players between October 1st and February 1st each offseason in no predetermined order. (laughs) So you had October, November, December, January. You had four months to just 
randomly start drafting guys onto your roster. Um, before the rules officially recognized affiliated minor league teams in 1931, the big league teams made their picks solely for minor league teams, all of which operated in independent leagues. Uh, at that time, a pick either cost $500 or $1,000, depending on the level of the player's league. The acquisition costs and the draft, both the acquisition costs and the draft period changed numerous times over the next century. Uh, and the, the term Rule 5 made its first appearance uh, no later than 1941 and it appeared in the 1941 edition of the major league rule book and i assume that's like five is yeah, exactly, exactly rule one don't use your bat as a club rule two uh rule, rule two don't purposely murder anybody exactly not three is about off. the sticky stuff yep four uh, is whatever what about bits black over. guys playing in the league no 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 most God, importantly no. Is, is being able to take a player from another team Moving exactly. We, we, we can't mess with that. Um, at this in, in this era, this era, the arguably the most successful story to come out of the draft was uh, one Lewis Robert Hack Wilson, Hack Wilson, Hall of Famer Hack Wilson. Uh, he had debuted briefly for the New York Giants in 1923, had a pretty good year in 24, uh, struggled the next year, was dealt to Toledo of the American Association in August. He did good. So the Cubs said, Come on up, Hack, via the Rule 5 draft. Uh, and over the next five seasons, he had arguably one of the best five-year windows of any player at that time. Uh, over that five-year period, he he hit three thirty. He had a batting average of three thirty-one, an on-base percentage of four nineteen, and a six twelve slugging percentage. And he averaged thirty-five home runs and 142 RBI, including a still-standing single-season record of 191 RBI uh, in 1930. Uh, and then this, wow. I mentioned to you in our Discord, I had a very esoteric stat that I wanted to... This is not the stat, mm -hmm. but he holds the all-time career record for home runs by a player five feet six inches tall or shorter he's a short king yes that's what kate said yeah he hit 244 career home runs at standing only five feet six inches tall including in 19 i think it was 1930 it might have been 1931 he hit 56 home runs in one year and so what i've been trying to do since i told you this the esoteric stat that i was trying to figure out was is there another player with at least 200 or more home runs who hit a higher percentage of his career total in one season than Hack Wilson hitting 56 in one year. That is 23% of his career total in one season. Wow. And that... the close the closest I could find with, with again with players over 200 home runs before I gave up on this endeavor was Josh mm -hmm. Hamilton. Uh he hit 200 career home runs and he had in one I can't I think it was like 48 he hit in one year. But that was still only, I think, like 21% of his career total. I just yeah. thought that was fa just fascinating That's to figure wild. out who hit more, a higher percentage of their home career home runs in one season than Hack. I don't think it was anybody. Uh, he also, I think there's a, I think he holds the career record or single season record for triples, but I, I can't remember. That's okay. So anyway, moving on. Uh, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979 by the Veterans Committee, by the way. That's Go short, King. Between 1965 and 2005, baseball introduced the amateur draft and free agency and gradually expanded to 30 teams. The Rule 5 draft got tweaked in that same period with the selection price going up to 50 grand and then the time before a player could become eligible going up from three to four years depending on age. Uh, some of the best picks from this era didn't actually help the teams that drafted them, like 
uh, Cecil Cooper got picked by the Cardinals from the Red Sox in 1970, but then they offered him back. Uh, the White Sox took Bobby Bonilla. Everybody celebrate. Be sure to celebrate Bobby Bonilla Day. The White Sox picked Bobby Bonilla from the Pirates in 1985, but traded him back to Pittsburgh the following July. The Marlins picked Johan Santana from the Astros in 1999, but then immediately sent him over the ch- to the Twins. God damn it. He tormented the Tigers for years. <laughs> and then the Orioles took Jose Bautista, a.k.a. Joey Bats, from the Pirates in 03, but then put him on waivers six months later. One of the, yeah, but that's not the craziest, wackiest thing that happened in the Rule 5 draft in this era. You remember Shane Victorino? The flying Hawaiian? <laughs> okay. Uh, outfielder Shane Victorino had the distinction of being a Rule 5 draft pick twice. Uh, the first time, the Padres picked him up from the Dodgers in 02, but uh, then a then 22-year-old Shane Victorino only hit 151 in 36 games and then got returned at the end of May. <laughs> thanks but no thanks you can have him back la never brought him up to the majors and left him unprotected again in 04 this time the phillies picked him up and uh they also offered him back to the dodgers before the 05 season (laughs) um but then he actually turned out to be a, a a very solid ball player and a huge uh component of the uh 08 uh phillies championship team uh yeah so let's That's, see that is funny to be like no one wanted this guy for so long that even the dodgers were like no we're good we really do like please keep him we don't want him and then <laughs> and it, for him to turn around and actually make a good career out of that that's and you wonder if he would have been afforded the same opportunities in la exactly uh, thought exactly and shout out to shane victorino because imagine the mental fortitude it has to take to <laughs> just go back and forth and nobody wants you yeah and then finally, you break through. Um, in oh, in 2006, the pool of players eligible for the Rule 5 draft shrunk a little bit uh, per the terms of the new collective bargaining agreement. The unprotected players uh, at that time had to be four or five seasons removed from signing, depending on whether they did so before turning 19. Since then, uh, relatively few players have stuck with a drafting team and made an impact, uh, but some significant names that'll sound familiar to baseball fans did stick with their teams that were picked in the Rule 5 draft around that time, including the aforementioned Josh Hamilton, Knuckleball and Cy Young winner uh, R.A. Dickey, Darren O'Day, Brad Keller, Ender Enciarte, and former New York Met Mark no, Canna. Current New York. Oh, is, he, is he still playing? Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, my daughter's here. Hey. Hi, Welcome home. Do you have anything to say? No, that's all she had to say. <laughs> um, let's see. Who else here? Uh, success stories also from that time include uh, Joaquin Soria, picked by the Royals from the Padres in 06, uh, Hector Rondon, Indians to Cubs in 2012, Ryan Presley, whose name will come up in a few minutes here, uh, picked by the Twins in 2012 and uh, from the Red Sox. And Anthony Santander was a Rule 5 pick. In hmm. 2016, the uh, Orioles picked him up from the, in- at the time, the Indians. Uh, they are now the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, big, the big one, though, it would be Marwin Gonzalez. Uh, he got to the majors with the Cubs, got a break. Uh, Red, Red Sox picked him up in 2011 in the Rule 5 draft, traded him to Houston. Luckily for Marwin Gonzalez, Houston was terrible, abysmal at this time. And so he got a shot, and he ended up becoming a, a arguably a super utility player. Uh, played nearly 800 games for them, appeared at every position except pitcher and catcher, and then helped them win a World Series uh, in 2017. So shout out to Marwin Gonzalez for, yeah. for sticking with it as well. Um, 
and then I, I was doing the research for this and MLB.com had a pretty good list. I'd also, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Um, I need to append something that I said in last week's episode. I said that JD Martinez was one of the most uh, notable rule five picks in, the, in recent memory. I swore he was a rule five pick, but in researching this, I found out that he in fact was not a rule five pick. I really thought he was, but the Astros simply cut him and the Tigers signed him to a minor league deal in 2014. Um, for some reason, I always thought he was a rule five pick. Mm. So may I call a very rule five adjacent move though, in your defense. Yeah. I, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I found a list. This is from November of last year on MLB.com of 10 notable uh, Rule 5 success stories of the past decade. And uh, some of these names are going to sound extremely familiar. They ranked them in order. Uh, number one, Ryan Presley, selected by the Twins from the Red Sox. Uh, since in that time, he has put, compiled a 9.7 B war. Uh, number two, Garrett Whitlock. Uh, the Red Sox picked him up from, of all teams, the Yankees. <laughs> Oops. Uh, in 2020, number three, a really good selection, although I think this guy has uh, sadly underperformed since he broke out a little bit. Od Odubel Herrera, if the Philadelphia Phillies picked him up from the Rangers in 2014. Um, Anthony that, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. Can I pause real quick? The, yeah, the numbers you have on the dock, these are the B-War for... Uh, just the season they were picked up? No, no. So this is the oh, cumulative okay. B-War since from the time. Thank you for clarifying that. So mm -hmm. if I do, I, I wasn't going to rattle off all the B-Wars or wars as I like to call it. Um, I, I wasn't going to rattle them all off, but this is cumulative from the time they were selected by the team they kind of broke out with. Gotcha. So okay. uh, the highest the highest B-War on the list is Odubel Herrera. Yeah. Uh, at thir at thirteen point four, and for a while it looked like he was going to add to that, uh, and I, I couldn't tell you what he's been up to uh, since then. Uh, number four, the aforementioned Anthony Santander, who continues to improve mm -hmm. and has really, really shrunk his strike zone and improved his plate plate discipline this year. Uh, he's number four. Number five, Mark Canna. This, uh, of the Mets, uh, selected by the Rockies and then traded to the A's from the Mar He was selected by the Rockies from the Marlins and then traded to the A's in 2014. Number six, Brad Keller. Number seven, Akil Badu. Um, the lowest B-War on this list at 2.5. That's an interesting uh, uh, place on this list. <laughs> he, he is, yeah. He had an amazing first season with the Tigers and then could not replicate, still can't to this day. No. Um, they but he's quickly, still there. Yeah, he's still there. And it, a lot of times they'll say, like, you know, guys who are new to the league will do pretty well because there's no book. We don't have a book on this guy yet. Mm -hmm. uh, they wrote that book real fast. <laughs> on, on old yes. Akil. Uh and, and he's he's too he's too young and too talented to give up on at this point. And I think I think the future is bright for him. But uh I, I think just by virtue of how uh incandescent he was in that first season, you know, he hit the the walk off uh, the grand slam, I think it was, it was a walk off grand slam or walk off home run, and then he, you know, he's his first game that you know, when he came up and then his helmet's always flying off and he's just yeah. running all over the place. Like he's so exciting and fun to watch. Uh, so if anybody's going to get a 2.5 B war on this list, uh, I'm going to say it's okay for a keel. Yeah. Uh, number eight, G man Choi uh, still kicking around out there, but he was selected by the angels from the Orioles in 2015. Uh, Delino DeShields jr. I was a big fan of his dad when I was a kid. He was an expo at the time. Uh, he was selected by the Rangers from the Astros in 2014 and Hector Rondon, the now retired Hector Rondon uh, was selected by the Cubs 
from Cleveland in 2012 and uh, compiled a solid 4.9 voir after that time. So there you go. There's a, a little bit of history on the Rule 5 draft and by extension, the 40-man roster. Yeah. Um, so now you kind of hopefully understand that a little bit better. Um, so if anybody mentions the Rule 5 draft or someone says he was a Rule 5 pickup, now you understand now the you Tigers uh, currently have another uh pretty decent rule five uh pickup on their roster in mason englert who mm-hmm. has uh has turned out okay for uh for what is essentially no insult no offense to mason a cast off yeah yeah and uh, an interesting thing you brought up about badu i think he makes for a good example like all these guys on this list no one really has the book on these guys nobody really uh, badu hadn't seen even triple a when he debuted for the tiger because of the intricacies with the rule five even if these guys have never seen major league playing time, you have to put them on the team if you want to keep them. So some of these guys are seeing the league for the first time. They hadn't even been in AAA or they'd never even touched grass on a major league field. And now they're elevated to this point. And it's a little bit of a, uh, if, it, if it works out, obviously, because not all of these things do. If it works out, they can really surprise the league and kind of put them on their back foot and be like, who the fuck is this guy? Nobody wanted him. The Twins threw this guy away, and now the Tigers have kind of utilized him in a, in a perfect way. Um, and uh, it takes them a minute to catch up. And that minute might be all you need to get a guy a major league job. You know, I don't think, you know, uh, I mean, Badu, for a great example, never got sent down that whole 2021 season, and now he's been with the Tigers, will be for a while. Mason Engler, I don't think will get sent down because um, he's been playing pretty well and nobody's really got answers for him quite yet. Yeah. And that, and that's what's so exciting about the Rule 5 draft because remember, the big component here is that you, if you're not on the 40-man roster, so you're never going to see a, a Shohei Otani or a Juan Soto <laughs> or, you know, even somebody like Salvador Perez who is, you know, his best years are probably behind him, but he's still, you know, I would say, you know, a pr- above average catcher you're not going to see guys like that in the rule five draft so that's why teams some teams don't even they they, they could pick and they're like no nah, man we're good we're good we're going to roll the dice on somebody who is a proven commodity so just in order to even consider participating in the rule five draft you have to acknowledge that your team has some pretty deep deficiencies and you are just mm-hmm. throwing darts at the wall. Um, and so that's why it's really exciting when you hear a rule like somebody, Oh, he was a rule five pickup and he's doing great. You should really root for that guy because uh, he's up there with one of my other favorite sports characters, which is the emergency backup goalie, you know, yes. like a guy who's getting thrust you know, thrust into greatness all of a sudden and is like a lawyer, but you played college hockey and now he's got a, play for the Blackhawks. Exactly. Um, go, go Google Scott Foster as a recent example of that. Um, so it's it's a, it, it's inherently a good story and somebody it's fun to root for. And it's interesting to think about uh, somebody getting that call and like literally getting tapped on the shoulder and, hey, man, there we, we like you enough that we're going to keep a roster spot for you. So please don't fuck this up. Yeah. Please, be, please be good. We're Otherwise, we're out uh, yeah. 50,000 bucks. At, um, at minimum, $50,000. Yeah. Um, pressure you know side note from all of this we didn't even talk about some of the big success stories from this week the pirates have been huge this week and i just oh, saw God, yes. breaking news they've extended brian reynolds who oh, started good. this season requesting a trade from the pirates saying i don't want to play for this shitty team anymore they're not shitty they're the uh second best team in uh the league best uh record in yeah. the national league um pirates are really becoming uh the surprise team of the year and i am all in for it so good for them for 
holding on to old Brian Reynolds. Oh, God. MLB the show legend, Brian Reynolds. <laughs> a, guy, a switch hitter who can just rake from both sides of the plate and has a swing that just feels good. I'm still waiting for my, my 99 overall Brian Reynolds to come out sometime this year. But that is so great. I, I, I consider the Pirates to be like a B team for me, mm-hmm. um, maybe C team. Um, so I'm really excited to hear that. And uh, you're right. There, it's it's insane to see what's going on in baseball. Like b- baseball feels sort of topsy turvy right now. Like it feels like their teams are doing really well that you wouldn't expect. Like Pittsburgh, um, Tampa. Nobody expected Tampa to be that good. The Diamondbacks um, too. Like just teams yeah. that are really shocking with how hard they're coming out of the gate. And a lot of people yeah. brought up recently about Tampa. It's like they they could pretty much be putting away a playoff spot by the end of this month because of how well yeah. they've they've played this month. So. Yep. Speaking of Tampa, their uh, twenty, I think it was twenty-two game streak of of games with home runs ended. I, I can't remember if they made it to twenty-two or twenty-three, oh, no. but that that streak ended. But they are still phenomenal. They're still a, a major force in the league. Uh, another big bit of news: we we talked about DFA last week. Madison Bumgarner got DFA'd. Uh, mm-hmm. by the by the Diamondbacks. I know you threw that in the notes uh, as a possible thing to mention, but uh, it's unfortunate to see the fall from grace that Madison Bumgarner had going from the heights of the the Giants in the of the of the 2010s uh, mm-hmm. to hey. <laughs> My daughter's just mad at my electric drum kit because it's not on. Uh, the, the soaring heights of the twenty, you know, twenty ten Giants uh, to come crashing down and and be DFA'd by the Diamondbacks, and he. You and I talked about it off pod. We were like, yeah, man, it'd be cool if he came over to the Tigers. And then I saw the video of him. I think it was Wilson Contreras with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was like talking shit to him for he because he swung. He swung. Everybody knows that Madison Bumgarner is a, a huge red ass when, it you know, he's got the attitude. Um, like the one time famously Max Muncy hit him, hit, hit the home run off him and Bumgarner is yelling at him. And Max Muncy said, well, go get it out of the ocean. One of the best responses <laughs> ever to anybody. Um and then he did that. And I was like, I don't want him. I don't want him tainting this young roster here in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of how a lot of teams are kind of receiving him. It's like, oh, free player? No, yeah. we're good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Free it, left-handed it, starter <laughs> at best, uh, bullpen arm at worst. And everybody's kind of like, no, I think we're good. <laughs> no. And then and then Contreras, in that moment, Contreras uh, drew a walk and bat flipped on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it was the best. My uh, most anticipated series of the year is next week. The Mets are coming to Detroit. Justin Verlander should be making his return from the injured list to make a start in that series. Scherzer might be in the mix too. We'll see. Um, really, really looking forward to that. Wish I could go see it in Detroit, but I can't even. I have to go watch it at work because I'll be at work. <laughs> um but yeah I, th- I think that's gonna do it for us this week on put me in coach um you know uh watch some baseball we got some great any good matchups you're looking forward to this this week yes i'm glad you said that uh it's <laughs> and I, I i'm glad you said that and i'm i'm mad at myself now because i did not bring this up uh i think it's the padres and the Braves yes. are playing in Mexico City. Padres and uh oh I think it might be the Giants. Padres Giants? No. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but uh, Mexico City game. Yep, Giants and Padres are playing uh the Mexico City series this weekend. So uh that that should be fun and interesting. Check that out. That's the one that I I put that on my calendar to to mention. Uh, and then I forgot until the very end of this episode. <laughs> they are the stadium they're playing in is seven thousand uh, feet above sea level, which, yep. for comparison, is about two thousand more than uh, Coors Field in Colorado. So I'll be interested, to, especially with those two teams, be interested yeah. to see some home run balls fly. 
I want to see some taters fly. For those of you like myself who play MLB The Show, it's like Laughing Mountain Stadium, the 7,000-foot elevation stadium <laughs> that I love to uh, load up and beat up the beat up on the uh, the Oakland A's this year on rookie and uh, grind my team affinity. But yeah, oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I want I, I can't I can't wait to watch that. Um, Mets Braves is the big matchup for me this yeah. weekend. Uh, of course, the, the the biggest rivalry in the NL East. Uh, a lot of trash talkers on one team or the other are gonna yep. uh, have to eat some crow this weekend. So. And Scherzer will be back from his uh, unjust suspension. So Agreed. That's, that's our baseball preview this week. Uh, we're gonna see you guys next week. Next week we're gonna talk. Like I said, perfect games. We're gonna we're gonna be dig a little bit into the Pirates and see what they've got going on. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk baseball, and that'll be next week on Put Me In Coach. Goodbye. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback, edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com.